Well, good morning. We're going to look today at Genesis chapter, or Genesis, excuse me, let me get the right book. Exodus chapter 17, um, beginning with verse 1. We're going to be looking there in a moment, so if you want to turn there on your device or to your Bible, we would invite you to do that. Well, let's start with this question. Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? When the circumstances seem overwhelming, when the needs seem too great, when the reservoir of emotion seems tapped, when the weariness seems paralyzing, when the prospects for a future seem dim, when the weight of the world seems to be oppressive and pressing, when it seems like bandwidth in life, energy, are just maxed. Is the Lord among us or not? Another way to ask that really is, is the Lord enough? But is the Lord among us? Well, today I want to welcome you to the desert. And we're going to go into the desert today with the newly liberated children of Israel who now have been set free from the grip of oppression that was Egypt for them. Just two chapters prior to where we're going to read today, they are singing and they're dancing and they're celebrating and they're saying, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. But now the emotion has worn off. Now the adrenaline has subsided and there are harsh realities that they are facing. They're in the harshest of environments, they find themselves in the Sinai Desert, in the Sinai Wilderness, where water, water is at a premium. Looking out over the horizon, imagine it, all you see are those waves of heat radiating off the ground. What you see ahead of you does not invite hope. In fact, all it invites for you is to remember the myth of the good old days. When you thought things were better, except, of course, when you were back there. Welcome to the world of the wandering people of Israel. We joined them on their journey by what is known as the waters of Meribah and Massa. Code words for testing and grumbling. And I don't know if you've noticed... But testing and grumbling often go together. Now this does not sound like a passage, what we're about to hear, that reveals a redemptive God meeting a broken world. But this is what I'd like you to do. As I read these words, I'd like you just to imagine this setting. And I want you to imagine the scene, and I want you to listen for the redemptive God showing up to these people, these wandering desert people. This is the word of the Lord from Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. 
And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, poor Moses. (laughs) What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled And because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? There's always a first time for just about everything. But this was not the first time for a grumbling people. These folks, think of it, are thrust into the most impossible circumstance. Now, if you and I were thrust into these circumstances, what would be our posture toward God? In fact, what is our posture toward God right now? You see, finally, the glaring desert sun and the heat and the very real lack of this most essential resource, water, finally all of that comes to reality for them. It just becomes very real. They come face to face even with the possibility of death in the desert. So I think it's understandable to some degree. This question, is the Lord among us or not? In all their complaint about God, though, they kept losing sight of one thing, and it's this, that God has never let them down to this point. Just before this, just before this, he provided all the food that they could need with the manna and with the quail. Miraculously, before this, he he, he turned the bitter water into potable water, into sweet water, and he even provided an oasis for them. And let's not forget what he did to spring them from the bondage of Egyptian slavery. Those good old days were actually not so good. When we read all of that, when we think about all of that, a question leaps off the page for us, which is this. Has not God been enough for them so far? But I think if we are really honest... I think they ask a question we would be tempted to ask in their circumstance and in the uncertainty of our days. Is the Lord among us or not? My temptation with these people when I read scripture is to cast them as simply a group of entitled, whining people in the desert. Like children not getting their way, it seems. We see this repeatedly for them, but, but when I put myself in their shoes, I am certain that I may call into question, where's God? 
Have you asked that question? I've had plenty of people ask me that question as a pastor. Where, where is God in this pastor? Is the Lord among us or not? You see, that phrase, among us, in the Hebrew, that phrase, among us, really means is the Lord with our most inner part. And quite actually, they're asking this, is, is God meeting us? Is he meeting us in the depths of who we are? Is, is he meeting us in what we're feeling in the depths, in the soul of who we are? You see, that's what they're asking. This, this is the language of people who are tapped out. This is the question of people who are tapped out emotionally, mentally, and physically. This is a question from centuries ago. And it's a 2020 question. In these days, there has been an increase of exhaustion in emotional, mental, and physical ways for many people. It's well documented now. David Kinnaman writes this, COVID and masks, race and justice, money and markets, educating our children from home, wildfires and hurricanes, politics and more. 2020 has amped up the volume on all the things we humans worry about and added new ones too. So in some ways it feels like we are in the desert. Deep within we may very well be asking, God, are you meeting me in these places of depletion? Is God enough? Is God enough in our suffering? Is God enough in our disappointment? Is God enough in our unexpected loss? Is God enough in our grief and pain? Is God enough for the constant sense of unease and uncertainty that's constant? Is God enough in the cultural stress and angst that runs like a high idling engine underneath the culture and our lives? Can we be sure that God is going to show up in the desert and be enough? But you see, I think that's the point of this passage. We want to look at the people and kind of see the whining people. But the point of this passage is this. God shows up. Period. God makes sure that these people and Moses know for certain that he does. We read these words in verse 6. We heard this. I will stand there before you by the rock. God says, go to that rock, Moses. Go with those elders. I will stand there before you. Now, Horeb, where he's telling them to go, that was the place where Moses was called. And in a little while, what we're going to see is that's that region is where they're going to gather and receive the law of the covenant. You see, this is symbolic of the place where God meets people. Horeb is where he meets Moses. Horeb is where he meets the people of God. And God wants them to know right now he cares and he's interested. Notice what he does not do in this instance. He does not correct them. He does not chastise them. 
He simply meets them. And when, when, when God says, I will stand there before you, quite literally it means, I will stand facing you. I'm going to stand there and I'm going to be facing you. Now, as a parent, for those of you who are parents or grandparents, have you ever turned your face towards your child? Looking at them, wanting them to make sure you were fully present to them. Wanting them to know that you were alert to their cry, that you were truly interested in their circumstances. You see, a redemptive God, our redemptive God, is interested and he's present in all of life and he meets us where we are. Just the other day, my friend Pat texted me, talked to me about his child, about how he has been struggling with those seizures. And I sent him a prayer and I reminded him that we serve Emmanuel, God who is with us. The God who shows up. And later on, a couple days later, he reported back to me how God just seemed to show up. The situation is not resolved. But him and his wife began to sense the presence of God giving them strength and help and grace. The situation is not resolved. There's still uncertainty. There's still questions. But God showed up. I will stand there before you. I will turn my face towards you. I'm reminded of the words of Joshua in chapter 1. As I was with Moses, the Lord said to him, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the constant reassuring promise of God from Genesis to the prophets to the end of Scripture. The book of Isaiah, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will, will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am with you. And for us, this is an ongoing truth of the provision of life in Jesus. This is good news. This is the ongoing truth of the, of the provision of the resurrected Life in Jesus, given to us by the resurrected Christ. Because he said to us, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Is the Lord among us or not? You see, his answer to the question, their question and our question is this. I will show up. Praise God. I think the problem, though, is, the struggle is, he most often doesn't show up as we think he should. And so maybe a second thought is this, God shows up despite our failure of imagination. You see, what they expected did not come to pass. Verse 1, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. It's obvious that they assumed there would be life-giving water there. 
maybe there was some history they had. Perhaps some suggest it was a water source or an oasis that they expected to be there that maybe they knew of from the past but now had dried up. Others suggest that the people who were controlling that region, the Amalekites, perhaps had taken control of all the water sources, which would be a military strategy. And they did that to try to prevent their arch enemy, Israel, from getting to that water. Could be that. We don't know. All we do know is they came to a place where the water was unavailable for some reason that they did not expect or anticipate. But that does not mean that God had forgotten them. It does not mean that God would not meet them. Even with their complaining, God meets them in a way they did not expect. The words of God to Moses, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now I don't know about you, but rocks are not typically viewed as a source of water. I don't know if you knew that. I know we know the story, perhaps the fable of stone soup, but, you know, rocks, they're not water producers. But that is what God uses. With the same staff that was used to prevent the Egyptians from drinking water. God instructs Moses, and Moses strikes the rock, and God provides for a worn-out and parched people, quite literally, living water. But they did not get what they wanted in this journey. You see, that's part of the point. They didn't get what they wanted, the source of water, the way they thought they should get it. But they did get what they needed, the water in a way they didn't expect. Now look around us today. My friends, look around us. Look around your life. Look around our world. Look around us. It's very difficult to imagine God bringing water from the rocks around us. It's difficult to imagine that living water is going to spew from the rocks of politics and church division and entitled individualism. It's difficult to see how the water of God is going to flow from racial discord and disagreement. How is the living water going to come from diminished emotional and relational and economic resources? These are like the last places, these are the least likely places where we think living water is going to come from. All the people in the desert could imagine at this point was their destruction. But what God imagined for them was blessing. Levi Jones' comment is spot on when he says, God is not deterred by an impossible predicament for God's people. Where the people's resources and power meet their limits, God's capacity to make a new way emerges. 
Boy, I've been, trying to, I've been trying to dwell on that. What is God's new way that he wants to emerge? God's not sitting on his hands. God's not just going, well, I'm just going to let them stay in the desert and, well, they're complaining about the water. No, God, God moves in and he takes a rock. And I imagine the moment God said that to Moses, Moses kind of went, huh? What? What? Who expects God to bring living water from rocks? But I wonder. Maybe it was when their most basic source of need met their limit. Met its limit. Maybe it was one when those things that they were most dependent on, when, 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 when it met the limit, that became the opportunity that God was waiting for. Think about it. The excitement of leaving Egypt, if you were one of those folks and you were packing up for that night when they took off, you would be pumped. That's exciting. The adrenaline of the Red Sea deliverance, I don't know how that happened. I don't know if it looked like Charlton Heston, you know, with a glowing beard. I love his beard, you know, but... I don't know if it was that kind of thing. I don't know how dramatic it was. All I know is it happened. I'd love to have been there, but they're like pumping because the Egyptians are coming after them. Their adrenaline is pumping, and then they get through. And on the other side, as we read, they're singing now. They're jumping up and down. The emotion and the excitement. And now, the basic supply of water they depended on, all of that, Motion, the excitement, the adrenaline, the water now is gone. And all they have left is one basic resource God. Just God. This past week, I, I just felt compelled to read some of the quotes and some of the thoughts from Corey Tenboom. Now, if you've never read about Corey Tenboom's story, you need to do that. Corey Tenboom, for those of you who don't know, was a Dutch national who was sent to concentration camps in World War II. She watched as her life was stripped away from her, loved ones died, her possessions literally taken. She placed in a camp with the intention of extermination, and she survived. She survived to tell the story of the horror. But what she's known for is not telling the story of the horror. She's telling the story of the grace in the middle of the horror. She was stripped down to her most basic resource, Christ. And she says this. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Remember what Levi Jones said, where the people's resources and power meet their limit, God's capacity to make a new way emerges. So I wonder, do I look for living water in the places I think it should be found? And failing to see 
in the process where God is actually providing the living water all along? What about you? Are there places where you're trying to think that's going to be the answer, that's going to be the solution, that's going to be the place of living water? Where are you looking for living water in these desert days? Their resources and their planning and their power hit their limit, but it was in this unexpected place and way that God makes a new way beyond imagination. He provides a new opportunity. He offers a new gift of living water. You remember the words from Jesus, right? From John chapter 7. He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. When Jesus spoke those words, he spoke those on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a festival that celebrated the wilderness wanderings. And on the morning of every day of that feast, they would pour out water. So on this feast, this last day of the feast, they're pouring out the water, remembering the water God provided in the wilderness. And Jesus says, I'm the living water. He reminds them and he reminds us. He is the water poured out. So it is in the places where expectations are unmet and dreams are fractured and we least expect to see God move in the rocks of life that the living water turns his face toward us and says, drink. Is the Lord among us or not? This passage reminds us that the God of redemption is at work in our world. The God of redemption is at work in our lives. I think we'd have to be honest and say, sometimes it doesn't look like that. But can you imagine how God might bring water from your rocks? from our rocks in these days? Is the Lord among us or not? Yes. Yes, he is. And that's good news because our world needs a drink. We all need a drink. Come and drink of the living water that is Jesus. It's beyond our imagination, but not his. So let's place our hope and trust in the redemptive God, for he is more than enough. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much today for the ways in which you meet us. We pray now, Lord God, that you would indeed meet each and every one of us. Meet us, Lord, with the enoughness of your grace and your mercy. Help us to know that you're attentive to us. You've 
turned your face to us in Christ. Help us, Lord God, to hand you our rocks. <laughs> the rocks that we have personally. It seems impossible like anything good's going to come from it. The rocks we have in our world, as we prayed for earlier. We hand you those rocks. And we're asking, Lord God, for you to bring forth living water. And for that living water to spring from within us through Jesus. So God, thank you today. Is the Lord among us or not? Are you among us or not? Thanks be to God that you are. In Christ's name. Now, I just pray today that as you go from this place, in a moment our ushers will dismiss you from the back, down through the hall, and we'll meet you outside. But as you go from this place, I want you to imagine what God might do with your rocks, the rocks around us. And I invite you today, my friends, take a drink of the living Jesus, and there find water for the journey. That's how a redemptive God meets us. Next week, we're going to look at the redemptive choice and wrap this little series up. But may we go now in the blessing of knowing that he is with us.